Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon. Great to be with you this Wednesday afternoon here from our studio in Johannesburg. And uh, we continue to speak about the great legend, Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was a remarkable person whose life still provides inspiration to us more than 2,000 years later. Um, Rabbi Akiva was indeed a unique individual. Last week we discussed certain aspects of the life of Rabbi Akiva, um, some of them being the most outstanding attributes, most outstanding uh, uh, points to make about Rabbi Akiva was that he didn't follow the regular pathway of most, most what we call Gedolei Yisrael, of most um, leaders of the Jewish people. Usually we find when somebody is very smart and has got great intellectual powers and capability, so often they come through, it's a certain mold that they fit into. They come through the best schools and they go to the best universities and they then um, quickly climb the ladder and enter into the upper echelons of society and remain there and use their intellectual power um, to to their best ability. Rabbi Akiva had a somewhat a different pathway. Rabbi Akiva didn't go to the best schools. Rabbi Akiva was totally uneducated. He was a shepherd, a simple shepherd, until the age of 40. He didn't even know Aleph base. He was totally illiterate. And Rabbi Akiva then um, undergoes an incredible transformation in his life. And he realizes that he wants to learn Torah, that he needs to learn Torah. And his wife, an amazing woman by the name of Rachel, who was the son of Kalba Savua, who was one of the wealthiest men in Israel at the time. And she saw the greatness. She saw the potential. She saw that incredible soul of Rabbi Akiva. And she married him when he had nothing. She married him when he was a, a shepherd. And her father disowned her. Her father threw her out. And said that I'll have nothing to do with you and I won't give you all this new husband of yours assent because I disapprove of your relationship of the shidduch. And nonetheless, she was so clear that he was the one, that he was a person of greatness and of holiness and of, uh, and of, uh, a, a perfect match for her that she stayed with him. Rabbi Akiva then goes to learn to remember we said last week that Rabbi Akiva um, was in the fields and he saw the waterfall and he saw the impression that the water made on the rock and that had a great impact on him. Most of us see things, see wondrous things all the time and we just carry on in our normal routine and our you know little lives without really internalizing or absorbing or allowing those things to have the impact that they should on us. And Rabbi Akiva certainly did so. And he, this incredible natural phenomenon, um, changed him forever. The altar of Slobodka said the reason why he, uh, was so moved by that site is he realized, he said that the soft water makes such an impression on the hard rock. How much more so can the words of Torah ha- make an impression on my soft heart? But the point that really got to him was that the consistency, the regularity, the um, fact that the water would drip day in, day out, constantly, 
slowly but surely would make that roishim, would make that impression on the rock. And likewise, Rabbi Akiva realized that with hard work, with tenacity, and with focus um, and devotion, so one can change themselves, one can change anything, and one can achieve great things. And so he went to learn Torah, and he became the God Ador. 24 years later, he had 24,000 Talmudim, and he became the great sage, the great leader of the Jewish people. So the one aspect of Rabbi Akiva's life was that he didn't come from, he didn't have a background of learning of education. And the second aspect is that he didn't come from Yichus. Yichus is a family lineage, a line of illustrious individuals. Rabbi Akiva was a convert, or there's a discussion whether it was his father or his grandfather who converted, but he was from a family of converts. And so he comes, he doesn't come from a, a strong line within the Jewish people of lineage. He comes from a family that decided to join the Jewish people with great courage and de- dedication. And so he began, he made his own Yichus, Rabbi Akiva. He began without an education, without a strong family background, and yet he became this great individual. And so that always remains a source of encouragement and inspiration for all of us because we realize that with tenacity and devotion, anything can be achieved. And we all have the ability to fulfill our potential and to reach for the stars and achieve great things. And Rabbi Akiva remains the source of inspiration for generations to come. One of the attributes that Rabbi Akiva had was he was a great speaker. He was somebody who could, uh, he, he engaged the masses. He spoke to people, to audiences on a regular basis. And that was something also that distinguished him from the sages of the time. So usually the sages would be great Talmud HaChachamim, great intellects. They would be learning in the base Midrash all day and have very little interaction with the people on the ground and certainly not have open public lectures. Rabbi Akiva did so. Um, in fact, the, our sources tell us that Rabbi Akiva was once giving a lecture publicly and somebody fell asleep, um, which is known to happen even to the best speakers. Uh, I have in my shul some anesthetists, but I think I'm even more efficient at the job than they are because I always manage to get people to, you know, to fall asleep, to be out in, in a moment. Um, but uh, Rabbi Akiva, so he realized this and suddenly he changed his drosha from this deep technical um, lambdas, as we call it, uh, uh, understanding, intellectual understanding, to more a more of a light, exciting um, uh, talk. His content became far more engaging, and he explained why what we call drush. He explained why is it that Esther ruled over 127 provinces. He says because Sarah lived to 127 years. So Rabbi Akiva had this ability to adjust to the needs of the people. He was in touch with what the people wanted and with what the people. Um, what was important to them, and that also made him such a beloved leader within the Jewish people. The great Rabbi Doisa ben Hurkanas, who was one of the sages of the time, when he read, met Rabbi Akiva, he said, Ata Akiva ben Yosef, are you the famous Akiva ben Yosef? That your name goes from one end of the world to the other. So the simple understanding of Rabbi Doisa ben Hukunas' statement to Rabbi Akiva was that, you know, your, your renown, your fame spreads across the globe. But the deeper understanding, the drush of that statement is that you will be remembered forever. That your legend, that what you've achieved, that your inspirational example for the Jewish people 
will be misofa olamat sofa will be right until the end of the world. Won't stop. It it will endure. Rabbi Akiva, um, at the end of his life, supported the rebellion of Bar Kokhba, which is very significant. So let me give a little bit of, of interesting background as to what happened. Um, the Romans destroyed the second temple. Titus, Titus was the Roman general who was in charge of the Middle East, and he destroys the temple ruthlessly. His father, Titus's father was Vespasian. Vespasian was the emperor of Rome, and after Vespasian dies, Titus takes over and becomes the emperor. Titus had a brother. His brother's name was Domitian, and Domitian assassinated Titus in order to become the emperor, which he duly became. He, he then took over from Titus. Now, Domitian was a terrible anti-Semite, and um, he also was assassinated. So there was quite a lot of movement in terms of the leadership in Rome, and it seemed to be quite a brutal um, a situation where many people were vying for control. Um, after Domitian is assassinated, an individual by the name of Narva takes over, and he becomes emperor. Now, Narva was a good guy. Narva was tolerant to the Jews. Narva was um, far more generous to his Jewish subjects. At the time of Domitian, a delegation of Chachamim went from Yerushalayim to Rome. Um, that was a high-profile delegation. It included Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yeshua. They all went to Rome, and they did so in order that Rome would be more lenient and more understanding to the plight of the Jewish people in Israel. And their delegation failed in their mission. They didn't achieve uh, any lifting of the harsh rule of Rome. Um, but when Narva took over, who was a far more gentle person, who was more kind and more understanding, more compassionate, so now they sent another delegation, a second delegation. And that second delegation Rabbi Akiva was a part of. And Rabbi Akiva, in fact, Rabbi Akiva was a well-known traveler. He traveled across the Jewish world um, throughout the diaspora. We know that Rabbi Akiva went to France, he went to Germany, he went to Cyprus, he went to Syria, he went to Turkey. And he went to these communities in order to mechazek them, in order to inspire them and encourage them and um, help them uh, fulfill their potential as Jews, to fulfill their mission as Jews. He also went to raise money for the Jews in Israel. And he also went to raise money for the rebellion, which was, um, which was pending, which was not far off. Now, when he came to Rome, Rabbi Akiva, with the other Chachamim, um, the Roman aristocracy of the time were so impressed that, in fact, there was a wave of conversion to Judaism amongst the upper class in Rome because they saw these individuals, Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Loz and Rabbi Yeshua, and they were very impressed by them and had actually initiated a conversion to Judaism. And the, a bit of a trend began amongst the Roman upper class and the authorities instituted a death sentence on anybody who would convert in order to st stop the flow, in order to stem the tide. Um, it seems that some say the groundwork for Christianity becoming the official religion of Rome was laid down by these sages, by these Chachamim. After Narva um, was no longer emperor, so Hadrian was the one who took over. And Hadrian, although um, Vespasian 
and Titus Domitian, they were all anti-Semites. Hadrian was a whole new level. He was a vicious anti-Semite. And the Jews before Hadrian had negotiated with the Romans and this delegation that went um, with Narva they negotiated that they would be able to rebuild the temple. There was kind of like a letter of intent in modern terms, which the Romans had agreed to, that the Jews would be able to build the base of Mikdash. Um, it's uh, similar in modern times. It should be familiar to us. We uh, know that the Balfour Declaration of the British was also a letter of intent in which they said that the Jews would be given independence and have our own homeland. Um, just like the Romans rescinded on their letter intent, so did the British rescind and step back from the Balfour Declaration. So when Hadrian became the emperor of Rome, he withdrew that commitment. And uh, he made all sorts of excuses. He said that the Jews were dangerous, that the rebuilding of the temple would lead to a nationalist feeling amongst the Jews in Israel, and that would lead to rebellion, and that would undermine the Roman hold on the, on the Middle East. And so he reneged. When he reneged, um, so then the rebellion began. The rebellion was led by the, an individual by the name of Bar Kokhba. And Bar Kokhba was a very charismatic, a very brilliant, a very powerful person. Um, and he, he, um, led this rebellion against Rome. Rabbi Akiva believed that Bar Kokhba was Mashiach. And he encouraged, um, the Jewish community, the Jews, to support Bar Kokhba and to be part of the rebellion. The Rambam writes about Rabbi Akiva in Hilchus Malachim. The Rambam says the following. Says, Hare, Rabbi Akiva, Chacham Gadol, Michachmea Mishnah. Rabbi Akiva was a great wise man from the sages of the Mishnah, who hired Noise Kalav, Mibar Koziva. And he carried the tools. In other words, he was a supporter of Bar Koziva. Bar Koziva is the name of Bar Kochba. And he, uh, the Rambam says that Rabbi Akiva said that Bar Kochba was the Melech HaMashiach, which is quite a radical statement that the Rambam makes, but Rabbi Akiva believed it with all his heart that Bar Kochba was in fact the savior of the Jews and would usher in the Messianic era. The rebellion, Bar Kochba's rebellion, was successful for four years. The Romans were driven out. They, we, they had they even minted coins um, for that time, we actually have those coins today. Archaeologists have found those coins of the times when Barak Kochba ruled in Israel and defeated the Romans. Um, the Jews had independence and they started to raise money to build the base of Mikdash. They started to bring korbanos, at least according to some opinions. You, know, you don't actually need the base of Mikdash to be built. You just need to know the place of where the Mizbech, where the altar was. And then one could bring certain korbanos. Um, and so it looked like in those four years, it looked like Rabbi Akiva was right, and it looked like that this was the era of Mashiach, and Bar Kochba was the man. However, most of the Chachamim disagreed with Rabbi Akiva. They said it was a mistake. They said that Bar Kochba is not Mashiach. They said that the Romans will crush us. And um, in fact, one of the Sages said to Rabbi Akiva, he said, Akiva, Esev yale mila, mila He says, uh, grass will grow from your cheeks. 
Ve'en ben David ba. In other words, you'll be long gone and Mashiach still won't be here. Um, that you're making a mistake over here. This is not the case. And there was plenty of opposition. There was a lot of strife and disagreement within the Jewish world. In fact, Rabbi Elozer ben Dursa, um, Rabbi Elozer ben Dursa was the, a great sage and he, um, was the uncle of Bar Kokhba and he opposed Bar Kokhba and he said that he wasn't the Mashiach. And his nephew, Bar Kokhba, actually killed his uncle, Rabbi Loza ben Dosa. So it was a very contentious and a very heated time within the Jewish people. Unfortunately, Bar Kokhba failed, and his rebellion was ruthlessly crushed by the Romans. The last stand was on Tishabav in a city called Betar, and thousands of Jews were slaughtered by the Romans on that day, including the son of Rabbi Akiva. Um, so one could imagine that, you know, the up and down and the, the tremendous um, hopes that were placed in this rebellion against the cruel Romans, and then the rebellion is, is destroyed, is crushed. And Rabbi Akiva, who was sought, uh, supported Bar Kokhba, who stood by this rebellion, must have been absolutely finished and devastated by those events. We can only imagine that... Um, Rabbi Akiva must have been heartbroken because there were, um, because the, everything, everything was gone. We know the Gomorrah tells us, Gomorrah and Yuvamos says that Rabbi Akiva had 24,000 students and they all died because the Shilonago covered Zelazer because they didn't show each other honor, the honor that they should have. And therefore they died. And there are some opinions. In fact, the Rivet, who was a Russian who lived in the 12th century, says that they died in the plague of uh, not in the plague, they, some say they died of plague, but uh, the Rivet says that they died in the rebellion of Bar Kokhba. They were part of that rebellion and they were also destroyed by the Romans. So we can imagine that the um, feeling of Rabbi Akiva after having experienced such a thing, after having uh, supported Bar Kokhba and encouraged others to support him, and then everything is locked, everything is destroyed. He's lost his Talmudim, he's lost the... The, the person he thought was the savior of the Jewish people is, is, is now gone. And so it obviously must have been a time of great anguish and turmoil and disappointment in the life of Rabbi Akiva. Um, the Rambam says that we learn from here, he uses Rabbi Akiva as an example, that we shouldn't meddle in messianic affairs. We shouldn't rush it too fast. When the time is right and the signs are there and Hashem will make it happen, obviously we should embrace it and we long for it. That's part of the basic tenets of Judaism is to long for Mashiach and to, and to pray for Mashiach and to prepare ourselves for Mashiach. But we shouldn't push it too hard um, because it may not be right. And he said, look at Rabbi Akiva, the Rambam says, look at Rabbi Akiva. The Rabbi Akiva was one of the great sages of the Mishnah, was such a talented, brilliant person, and he made a mistake. And uh, we've seen in Jewish history many, many different instances and times when, as a result of our messianic fervor, it's caused terrible destruction to the Jewish people. And uh, there's been a lot of suffering and fallout as a result. So the Rambam says we shouldn't rush it too much. And when the signs are there, yes, of course, we're ready, but uh, we can't overdo it and uh, push it when it's not right. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. (laughs) 
This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. In these challenging times, many people are under pressure and for, and for some it can become too much. Who does one turn to? Chai FM will be starting a helpline later this year and we are looking for compassionate, caring volunteers to train as call center counselors. If you have a background or an interest in counseling and you want to find out more, email helpline at chaifm.com. Chaifm, 101.9 megahertz of serving the community. We're discussing how Rabbi Akiva experienced this tremendous, devastating disappointment and anguish in his life. Um, the rebellion is crushed by the Romans. Thousands of Jews are murdered. Uh, uh, his students have died. So it seems like at this stage, Rabbi Akiva is over 100 years old. And so one would imagine that a person in such a situation would throw in the towel, would say, you know, okay, this is how it's gone, and I regret that I made an error in supporting Bar Kokhba. I regret that I that I uh, failed with Mal Talmidim. I've had a hard life, you know, where to from here? Not with Rabbi Akiva, though. Rabbi Akiva, there was no such a thing as being despondent and being depressed and throwing in the towel. Rabbi Akiva was tenacious and resilient. And as we said, that image of the water hewing out the rock, smoothing out the rock, remained with Rabbi Akiva throughout his life. And he, even at this stage, after such devastating loss and disappointment, Rabbi Akiva has the strength to pull himself up, to lift himself out of the rut, and to carry on, and to start again. And as the Gemara says, the world was desolate, desolate of Torah that Gomorrah is talking about. That there was no Torah, that Rabbi Akiva's students had died, and the Torah was being lost, and the Romans were in control of the land of Israel. They had just crushed the rebellion. They were prohibited the learning of Torah. It looked like all was lost. It looked like the Jewish people were devastated and destroyed, like we saw 70 years ago at the, with the Holocaust. It looked like it was over. Rabbi Akiva is not to be deterred. He picks himself up and he carries on once more. And the Gemara says that the world was desolate. Until he came to the, to the rabbis in the south and he developed a new generation of Talmud Chachamim, of leaders of the Jewish people. As the Gemara says, who were these five rabbis that Rabbi Akiva now groomed into carrying the Torah and leading the Jewish people? Um, in the south of Israel, it had to be in the south because the Romans weren't in the south in the Negev. The Romans were in the center and were in the coastal plain. And who were they? Who were these five Talmudim? Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Shimon, who's Rabbi Shimba Yechai, Rabbi Loza ben Shamua. Those five were the ones that carried on the Torah and keep the, kept the, um, the tradition going from one generation to the next. And we see that the, they were able to do what Bar Kokhba was not able to do. They were able to defeat the Romans on their own through the strength of Torah. When the Jewish people hold on to the Torah, when the Jewish people live by Torah, so we are able to Defeat our enemies. We're able to overcome the most difficult circumstances. We're able to um, thrive and we're able to develop and remain strong and continue as the holy Jewish people. So 
These and these five Talmudim kept the Torah alive, as the Gemara in Sanhedrin says: Stam Mishnah, Rabbi Meir, Stam Tosefta, Rabbi Nachemia, Stam Sifra, Rabbi Yehuda, Stam Sifri, Rabbi Shimon, Bekula Maliva, the Rabbi Akiva. So that's the entire Torah Baal Peh, and they all were students of Rabbi Akiva. They all kept Rabbi. They kept the Torah alive as a result of the efforts of Rabbi Akiva, who's now over a hundred years old. So that is an incredible. Um, lesson to us that we should never give up no matter how devastating it may be no matter how old we may be we must continue to to um, build ourselves and to build Torah and to be uh, resilient in our focus and in our mission in this world uh, the Gemara says Im hemidcha talmidim if you establish Talmidim when you were young do not stop when you're old Continue to to do so on your own. And the, the the example is Rabbi Akiva and how he developed these Talmud and kept the Torah alive, even at that uh, late stage of his life. So we see the the general trend in Rabbi Akiva's life. One of the great examples and models he continues to be for us is that we keep going. As we mentioned last week, the Gemara Makos that talks of um, when Rabbi Akiva, together with his colleagues, saw the uh, the burning, the uh, base of Mikdash was destroyed and saw a fox going into the Makam, into the place of the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And the other sages were crying, Rebbe Kiva was smiling. And he, he, he was able always to see the positive and the light at the end of the rainbow. And they said, how could you be smiling? He said, because I could now see that those prophecies of destruction are literal. And that means the prophecies of redemption are also literal. And the redemption, redemption will come as the prophets have described. So Rabbi Kiva had this ability to see the positive and to see through the suffering and the hardship and to build um, despite the, the difficulty and the disappointment. And that's such a, a towering lesson for all of us. And we see it throughout Rabbi Kiva's life. We see it throughout his, his general worldview. There was an individual by the name of Cheskia. Cheskia Melech was the king of Israel. And he was renowned. He was known for building, for um, instituting education throughout the land of Israel. Gomorrah says that me Beersheva ad Dan, all the way from Beersheva in the south to Dan in the north, there wasn't a child in the times of Cheskiah who didn't know the laws of Tumah and Tahara. The laws of Tumah and Tahara are very complicated laws. They're very detailed halachas. They're not simple to grasp. But every child in the times of Cheskiah Melech knew that in, in Israel. So he was so successful at bringing education to the to the Jewish people, but we know that his son Menashe was a Russia. So even though Cheskia brought education to the masses, he wasn't able to successfully educate his own son. And Rabbi Akiva asks rhetorically, he says he he can educate Klai Yisrael, but he can't educate his son on the right path. Menashe was a terrible Russia. He took over from his father. He uh, was the grandson of Yeshaya Hanavi of Isaiah the prophet. He murdered his grandfather. He murdered Yeshaya. He um, brought Avodah to the base of Migdash. He was a, just a terrible Russia. And at the end of his life, Menashe experienced hardship and difficulty. And the, at the end of his life, Menashe actually did tshuva. As a result of the difficulty and hardship that he went through, he ended up doing tshuva and coming around. So Rabbi Akiva said that we see that Yesurin, we see that hardship and difficulty and suffering can bring a person to the right path, can turn us around, 
can be a gift in order to set us straight and help us see clearly and what we're supposed to be doing. And he says Chizkiah is an example of this. And so that's how he viewed it throughout his life. Um, he said Chavivin Yesurim, that how dear is difficulty and suffering in life because we learn from that and it leads us to to grow and do what we're supposed to be doing. Rabbi Akiva had a very um, traumatic end to his life, and we'll discuss that in a moment after this. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We now have reached the end of the life of the legendary Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was executed by the Romans. Um, as we've been saying, the Romans uh, crushed the rebellion in a brutal way and didn't allow the study of Torah. If a person was caught studying Torah, so they would be executed. And that's what happened to Rabbi Akiva. It was a public execution and um, a time of great trauma. It was the area of Yom Kippur. In fact, that's why on Yom Kippur night we say that there's a Pasuk that we start out, as we take the Sifrei Torah out of the Ark, we say, Or Zarul Tzadik, or the Yisraelev Simcha. It's a Pasuk from, uh, from Tehillim, from Psalms, and it means that light is sown for the righteous, and to the straight of heart there's joy. But the reason why we say that Pasuk then is because the last letter of each of those words in the Pasuk spells Rebbe Akiva. So we... Um, we remember Rabbi Akiva on the night of Yom Kippur because that's the day, Erev Yom Kippur, when Rabbi Akiva was murdered by the Romans. And when he's being taken out to be killed, to be executed, they, they uh, ripped the flesh off of his body. And his Talmudim were there and they, it was just devastating for Klaishal to see such suffering to such a holy man who was so filled with love. And Rabbi Akiva was about to say Shema. And his Talmudim said, Rabbi Ad Khan, you can even say Shema at this moment. And he explained to them, he said to them, <coughs> he said, we say every day the Shema. We should love Hashem your God. Love Hashem your God with all your heart. And actually it's plural, it's hearts, because it's referring to the Yetzatov and the Yetzatov. We must love Hashem, of course, with the Yetzatov, with our positive inclination, but not only just with a positive inclination. We also love Hashem with our negative inclination, with those passions and drives for, for power and for pleasure. We must channel that in the service of Hashem. We must even use our Yetzatov in the service of, for example, our eating. We don't eat like an animal. We say a blessing before we eat kosher food. We have in mind, I'm, having, I'm eating to have strength to serve Hashem. On Shabbos, we eat Lekavot Shabbos Kodesh, Lekavot Yom Tov, in order to honor Hashem's holy day. So we should use that drive and that passion in us in the service of Hashem. It's the same with sexuality and with everything in our lives. So that's Bechol Levavacha, with all of your hearts, with the Yetzatov and Yetzatov. We then say Bechol Nafshacha, with all of your soul. And that means... That we must be prepared to give up our lives in the service of Hashem. Now, there are certain extreme circumstances where the Torah expects, expects of, expects of us. The halacha is that we should rather give up our lives than commit this transgression. 
Judaism is not like Islam. In Islam, there's a concept called um, murdering infidels, and that's how you'll get your eternity. That's not at all the uh, – nothing like it in Judaism. But in Judaism, there is a concept that at certain circumstances, one needs to give up one's life rather than commit a transgression. So that's only applies to the shloisha chamuros, the three cardinal sins in Judaism, which are gilo arai, sexual immorality, shvichas damim, murder, and avodazor, idol worship. Rather than commit any of those three transgressions, we must give up our life. And that's when we say v'chol nafshecha, every time we say, we say those words twice every day, in the morning and at night, when we're fulfilling our obligation of Shema, we should have in mind that if our God forbid I'm in a situation where I have to give up my life, I'm prepared to do so. That my love for Hashem is so sincere and so deep that I'll even give up my life if I'm supposed to, according to Halacha. So Rabbi Akiva told this Talmud, he says, every day we say the B'chol Nafshecha with all of your soul. And now I have an opportunity to fulfill this. He said, it's a great opportunity for me. And he says the Shema in a very calm, serene way and the, uh, at the end, when he completed the word Echad, so the Gemara says, Yatsa Nishmaso Beechad. His soul left his body when he said the word Echad. And that was the epitome of a person who's got tremendous love for God, a person who's com- who is reached very high spiritual levels. And that was the end of the remarkable life of Rabbi Akiva. So Rabbi Akiva, according to holy tradition, um, his Talmudim, uh, gathered his remains uh, Eliyahu Navi was there too And they took his remains to a cave Just outside the city of Tiberias um, One can visit the cave of Rabbi Akiva He's buried next to the Ramchal Of Moshe Chaim Luzato It's up on the hill in Tiberia Just outside Tiberia Overlooking um, the Lake Kinneret I have been there I recommend next time you go to Eretz Yisrael Go to the cave of Rabbi Akiva And pay tribute to this remarkable man Who remains to be a legend Within the Jewish people And still 2,000 years later Every Jewish martyr That's Rabbi Akiva That comes from Rabbi Akiva Every t- piece of Torah that we learn That's Rabbi Akiva Everybody who has a love for Klai Israel, That's Rabbi Akiva And the love for Zion and Jerusalem That's Rabbi Akiva So Rabbi Akiva's legend will live on And we should continue to learn For the incredible example that he was to all of the Jewish people. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.